glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, stand with me if you would then, please. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. And what we're coming into is the interpretation from the Lord Jesus Christ to the parable of the sower. And so I think this group of people not familiar enough to just cut in on this as the Lord interprets this parable. His disciples, verse 9, And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed therefore... How ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Now, if you would, Acts chapter 17. I just want to emphasize verse 18. He says, Take heed therefore how ye hear. That word how means exactly what you think, the manner in which you and I hear the word of God. Acts chapter 17. I find this very interesting. We'll emphasize this later in the message, but in verses 4. 12, and then later on in verse 32, uh, or rather 34, we find, all, we find three different records of, of what the effect of Paul's ministry was in three different places. So in Acts 17, the first part of the chapter, he's in Thessalonica, then he is in Berea, and then he's in Athens. And the Holy Spirit of God saw fit to record what the result was, if we could use that word, or the effect of his preaching in each place. The effects were varied And we'll see that in a few minutes. And so I believe there is, in the context of Scripture, you're seeing the truth of the parable of Luke 8 carried out in practicality in Acts 17. So let's read Acts 17, verses uh, 10 through 12. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Thank you. you. may be seated. I want to go ahead and point out at the beginning of this message, again, there's three places in Acts 17 that Paul preaches. He preaches, first of all, in Thessalonica. And the Bible says that as his manner was, in verse 2, and Paul as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, 
and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. The Bible says in verse 4, and some of them believed. So Paul preaches in Thessalonica, and his manner was, in every city he went to, you'd find Paul had a, a pattern of ministry. He'd go to the synagogue first, preach to the Jewish people, where Scripture was already familiar, where there was already a, a, um, an interest, if you would, in the things of God and a certain knowledge of the things of God. And he would preach there, and pretty much the pattern was the Jews would then persecute him, and he would go to the Gentiles. Some would get saved, and he would go to the Gentiles. What I want to point out is that in, in, in Berea, he does the same thing. He comes into the synagogue in verse 10, and he preaches there. But the Bible says in verse 12, Therefore, many of them believed. So in verse 4, some of the Thessalonians believed. In Berea, many of them believed. But then in verse 34, after he preaches in Athens, arguably Paul's most eloquent message that you'll find in the Bible was preached on Mars Hill in Athens. I said eloquent, okay? Preachers disagree as to whether or not he went about this the right way. Tonight, I couldn't care less about that. What I do know is he preached the truth, and it wasn't very well received. And verse 34 says, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. I've heard men take Acts 17, and I'm not here to tear up on those men. I just want to say this is how some men process this, and say Paul took a, a wrong method in Athens. He he tried to point to the, uh, the, the, the altar to the unknown God, and he seemed to try to reason with them. Whether that's true or not, I do not know. What I do know about the Athenians is verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which, were, which there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I look at the Athenians, and it seems like they are gullible and unsettled, meaning if it's new, we want to hear it. And they might have seemed like a very a very receptive crowd to the truth. Paul comes along in Athens. Man, they are curious about what he's preaching. He is preaching about this unknown God. He's preaching about the resurrection. And they bring him and say, what is this babbler saying? We want to hear more. But it wasn't because they wanted the truth. It's just because they want to hear something new. May I say this? There's a, I think there's a number of lessons to be learned from this. Number one, as we deal with people, there are times we're going to discern, wow, I have found somebody that is about to get saved because they say, well, I've never heard what you're saying. Tell me more. And then nothing much ever comes of it. What we do find is the Bereans knew how to respond to God's word. It seems to me like the Thessalonians were skeptics, and it seems to me like the Athenians were gullible. And God doesn't want us to be skeptical or gullible. And I believe this. If you find people that say, all I want is to be proven what is true, you can win that person the Lord. Because you can take the Bible and show them if if their heart is disposed to the truth, what Jesus called a good and an honest heart, you can convince that person the truth. Now tonight, again, I think there's multiple applications. As you and I deal with people... I believe this can help us be discerning as to why some people hear and get saved and some do not. This is the parable of the sower. Some hear the word of God and it has no effect. Satan steals it from their hearts before they ever even have a chance to believe it. Some say, oh, I would love to, yeah, this is wonderful, but they don't truly believe it in their heart. As soon as it is put to the test, there's no root in them. Some accept it and get rooted but never get fruitful. But those who respond to God's word like the Bereans, as we have noted here, are responding to the Word of God the way it should be. And so I'll give you three simple things. Again, we're familiar with this text tonight. I would say many, if not all of us, have heard this text preached, but I don't want us to miss in the simplicity of this how important this is. And as 
your pastor, what I would love to see us do is be a church that when someone shows up, whether myself or a guest preacher, and they preach the word of God, it can be counted on that they have noble hearers in this church, that we would learn how to hear the word of God, whether we're reading it in our personal devotions or hearing it preached over a pulpit or taught from someone who's older than us in the faith, that we would have hearts and ears like the Bereans do And I want to ask you this, in regard to this, this kind of helped whet your appetite for what we're looking into. When was the last time you heard something taught or preached here that you went home in the the seven days following and took your Bible and researched whether or not what you heard was actually true or not? I, I believe this, as you're listening, you and I have a blessing the Bereans did not. We have our own copy of the Scripture. We have tools that you can put on a device like this. Many times, and I'm preaching, somebody preaches something, I think, I'm not sure about that. You can start researching right there in your pew while you're listening. Is this what is actually in the Bible? Now, I believe there's a couple of reasons why we would not approach the Word of God that way. Number one, we may just be careless. We really don't care to know what's true. We may be like at the Athenians. I just want to hear something I've never heard before. I've heard I've heard pastor preach on this many times. I Give me something new. We all don't need something new. We need the same old thing till we get a hold of it, amen, or rather till it gets a hold of us. But it may be that. Or it may be if I actually find out what's true, I'm going to have to change some things. If I look into this and it's true, I'm going to have to repent. I'm going to have to change some things. So I would just rather take his word for it and fine, we'll just listen and move on, whatever it may be. Or you may have a Berean mentality and say, you know what, I came to church tonight needing God to speak to me, to communicate truth to me. Now, the truth they were hearing was the gospel that they'd never heard before. These were unsaved people. We must understand, these Jews Paul is preaching to, they are unsaved people, but they were noble enough, they said, we want to prove. If this man is telling us God's truth, we want to test that, and if it's true, we'll believe it. We We ought to hear God's word that way. All I need to know is what I'm hearing. If it's true, I'm on board. I'm ready to believe it. I'm ready to obey it. May I say this? That's the kind of person that the Word of God will change their life. And so let's see these three things about the Bereans tonight. Beginning, we'll go back to verse 11, Acts chapter 17. I believe they are a picture of someone who knew how to hear the Word of God. Acts 17, 11. uh, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Now, if I use the term nobility, somebody is part, we're not as familiar with words like noble and nobility as they might have been in England even just a 100 years ago. But if I use the word noble or nobility, what comes to your mind? What's the first thing that travels through your mind? I think royalty. Because the world measures nobility by status in life, by position, by the position you're born into, by your possessions. God measures nobility by how you respond to his word. The noble Christians are not those who have status in the world, meaning nobility here, and I'll give you a definition of this word in just a minute, is not to do with our social status. It has to do with how we respond to God's word. The Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. The first thing what you see about the Bereans was their disposition. Their disposition. The word noble means this, ingenuous, candid, or of an excellent disposition. Ingenuous, 
candid or of an excellent disposition, it means ready to receive the truth. That's Webster's 1828 definition of the word noble. Ingenuous. When I read that, I'll reveal my ignorance. I thought, I'm not exactly sure what ingenuous means. I don't use that word all the time. Ingenuous means this, open, frank, fair, candid. Open, frank, fair, candid. So ingenuous is used as a synonym for noble. So it means to be open, frank, fair, candid, free from reserve, disguise, equivocation, or dissimulation, used of persons or things. So free from disguise, meaning no guile. They had no false intent for why they were hearing. These people that came to hear Paul in Berea had a singular intent. We just want to know if what we're hearing is true. Now, how many times do we bring what we would call prejudices to the hearing of God's word? We bring all kinds of predetermined ideas. I read a, I read a statement from a man the other day. He was, he was describing himself in a profile, described himself as a certain, he described himself, I'm a good old boy and have no desire to ever change. And it just troubled me. Uh, I don't think that ought to be how a Christian would describe his or herself. This is what I am and... Now, I'm not talking, if you say, I am, a, I am a, a settled Christian, I have no desire to change, fine. But the idea would be, if we say, you know what, I'm already set in my ways. May we be set in God's ways, that's called steadfastness. But we should never be set in our ways. We should be ready to be changed by the word of God into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the disposition of the Bereans was this. They had a receptive heart and mind to the truth. The Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And again, we see that word noble means uh, the idea of of being um, open, fair, frank, candid, ready to receive the truth. Many times the truth cannot make its way because we've already decided where we're going to be. But not not the Bereans. The hearer of God's word should say, what I'm concerned about is being is proving that what I hear is the truth of God. Once I know that that is what God's word says, that's all I've got to have. I'm on board. And so the Bible says that they were receptive. They received the word, meaning they were willing to accept it, not reject it, with all readiness of mind. That word readiness of mind, according to the Strong's, means this, a predisposition. So they're already predisposed to have their minds ready. An alacrity or forwardness of mind readiness or willing to have a willing mind i've said this and i believe this we sing just as i am after the message and it should be saying from the heart before the message just as i am we should say i surrender all not as the song after i'm not against singing after that ought to be our disposition before may i say this if we don't come into the message surrendered it's likely we won't go out of it surrendered There's no invitation that can twist a heart and a mind that's already decided this is the path I want in life. This is what I've chosen to believe, whether it's true or not. If the Word of God contradicts it, I'm going to find some reason to dismiss. There's really no preaching that can help that person. But if we have a Berean mentality that says, you know what, I am coming not with an open mind to anything, but a heart and a mind that is always open to anything God says. And if what the preacher, the word that they received, by the way, was a word preached through the mouth of a man. How many of us agree Paul was a man? How many of us agree he was a sinner, saved by the grace of God? Yet the Bereans did not say, I don't listen to what men have to say. We all listen to what men have to say. What we need to do is prove is what that man's saying, what God says. 
And we have the ability to do that. And so then they were receptive to the truth with a readiness of mind to obey the truth. The Bereans were ready to obey anything they could see was the truth of God. That's their disposition. And that's the disposition we should approach God's word with. A receptiveness. I will receive what I'm hearing. And I will. I am ready. A readiness of mind. I'm ready to obey the truth that is put before me. Uh, Again, I don't want to preach the negative side of this too much, but the opposite side of that is, you know, I, I've already... Here's, here's something I, I concern over. We are very biblically literate in our culture, uh, and in a church like this where many of us are multi-generational Christians, it is easy to learn how to hear the truth and dismiss it. It's easy to become a professional at dismissing truth that was intended to change me. Because I've heard all the explanations in my own mind or in that of someone else as to why that truth does not apply to me. We need to be very, very careful that we do not let the thorns. If you're saved tonight, the only other ground I can see that would represent my heart or yours is thorny ground. My personal belief is thorny ground is the heart of a saved person. They have root, but they have no fruit. Because they get choked by cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of this life. And we get things that we are clinging to or clinging to us that are stealing our heart and cause us to dismiss God's word. So that's the disposition of the Bereans. There was a receptiveness to the word of God. There was a readiness to obey the truth. But that's not all. May I say this? If that's all we bring to the table, we're never going to have convictions in our life. Readiness and receptiveness are a good starting point, but that's not the ending point. Amen. So number two, we see the diligence of the Bereans. First of all, the Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. That's their disposition. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Then, uh, the, uh, So that's the part I want us to, to notice. That the, the latter part of that verse, they did what? Search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I'll give you a few things concerning their diligence. Number one, they operated by a principle. Meaning they had a ruler that measured truth talking in my visit today about how we how we sort through the devil's uh, doctrines and measure those against truth god does not ask us or tell us to guess here you make your best guess at how a person gets saved this religion teaches this and this religion teaches this and this one teaches this and you look at it real close come to your best guess and try your hardest to figure out which one of those is true you make your guess and see how that works out for you God gave us a measuring stick to measure with whether or not what we're hearing is true. Whether it relates to salvation or whether it relates to sanctification or whether it relates to service. I preach this way. Let me just be personal with you. I preach this way. I expect you to take your Bible and scrutinize what you hear come from this pulpit. Not be skeptical. I didn't say skeptical. There's a difference in being a skeptic and scrutinizing something because you're going to obey God and prove all things. So I'm, my job is to do my homework as a preacher to say, I want to prepare a message that the person who loves their Bible enough and loves God enough is going to take the Scripture and scrutinize what I hear. And after they've scrutinized it, they're going to have to say, that's what the book says. Amen? And church, listen to me. That's the kind of church we must be. If we're not, we'll be taken prey by some wolf in sheep's clothing. I've just got done preaching on Jude. 
And if we want to be a church that doesn't fall prey to the apostates and to the heretics of our day, the best way to deal with error is measure everything by the book. But this takes diligence. The Bereans said, you know what? This man is preaching to us something we've not heard before. We have not heard such specific clear-cut truth, because here's what Paul did. He came in, and he took Old Testament scriptures, probably some of the very ones we've been preaching on Sunday morning, and he said, I want to show you, from the Old Testament, there was a prophet that was prophesied to come. Moses said, a greater prophet than he would come. I know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. He was born in Bethlehem, came from Nazareth. He raised from the dead, interrupted me on the Damascus road. Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. His message was very clear, very concise, so that Paul was preaching, if you reject Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you are condemned. That's pretty precise, isn't it? These people never heard that. But they said, he's telling us this from the Scripture. So then the Bible says daily. By the way, I get in my mind, they went home and got their Bible out. No, people then didn't have their own copy. means they had to go back to the synagogue every day to find out whether or not what he was saying was true. they were It would be like us saying, I'm going to have to go to the library every day and check a book to see if what I'm hearing is true. You tell, I'm telling you, you know what kind of work that took? For what purpose? They wanted to know what God was saying. They wanted to know the truth. The principle they used was this. We are going to measure the message of the preacher by how it measures against the written word. Is that not so? This is where we get the idea. Not against how it measures against the most popular belief among so-called Christians. Many times, you know how we measure truth today? We hear something preached, we Google, oh, (laughs) that message is connected with this guy and this guy, and I don't like him or him, so I'm not going to accept it. I got news for you. I don't care if some harebrained wingnut preached something. If it lines up with the book, it's still true. I'm not for him and being a harebrained wingnut, but if it's Bible, it's Bible. Are you with me? We have to have a love for truth. And so then this is their principle. They said, we're going to take the message of that man. We're not going to say we don't like the way he said it. We're going to say, we're going to take what he said and compare it with what the written word says. And that's our principle. If it lines up with this, then that's true. That's what makes us noble Christians. Except, you know what? They weren't even Christians yet. <laughs> They're measuring whether or not to believe the gospel. And so then the principle they operate on was they tested everything they heard by the written word of God. That is not something that was developed in the 19th or 20th century. This is something that the Bereans practiced all those years ago, the principle of measuring the message and the message of that man by the written word of God, their practice. So the principle was Scripture is authoritative. By the way, is that not what Jesus told the Sadducees to do in John 5, 39? Let me read this to you. John chapter 5, verse 39. The the Sadducees and the Pharisees, why they loved to quote portions of Scripture as as it worked to advantage what they wanted people to think. But the Lord Jesus said this to them in John chapter 5. Um, let Let me find my place again. Verse 39. He says, and... I'm in John 4. It's no wonder I'm not getting the right text. Verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He said, you think you found the key to eternal life in the scriptures, but if you'll search them, they will testify that I am who I've told you I am. 
They were rejecting the truth that he was the Messiah. And he said, if you'd actually search, not just open the scripture, search the scriptures, you'll find that what I'm telling you is truth. You know what? When someone's preaching the truth of God, they are not afraid to have their message checked against the Bible. Amen. Jesus didn't say, don't search the scriptures. He said, search them. You go right ahead. You study, you, you talk to any cult out here. I love to ask folks that are wrapped up in those. So do your teachers encourage you to test their message against what the Bible says? To take their message, compare it to Scripture. I was walking, talking to a Catholic lady a couple weeks ago. She's an older woman. She was very on guard, very kind, but very on guard. Like, well, I've got my church, and we're doing this Bible study. And I just said, can I encourage you to this? Hand her the John Roman. She took it. I said, will you take everything you're hearing taught in your church and compare it with what the Bible says? And will you purpose in your heart to believe what that book says? If she'll do that, she'll have to reject what she's being taught because they're not teaching what's in the Bible. It's what got Catholicism in so much trouble all those years ago as people started searching the scriptures when they could and found that what they were being taught wasn't true. So the principle was the the authority of scripture. The practice was this. They searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Their practice was, you know what? We're going to listen very... You know what that took though? That took when Paul was preaching, they had to be very attentive to what he was saying so they knew what to test. They had to be paying close attention to what he was preaching so they could say, he said that Isaiah the prophet said this, now let's check him. Is that actually what it says there? And so they had to be attentive to the preaching and then they had to apply themselves diligently on a daily basis. And here's what I'm trying to say is as God's word is preached to us, whether it is I or someone else, it doesn't really matter. What matters is truth is being delivered. Truth is not being delivered to fill our minds with knowledge or to make us feel spiritual. It is being delivered so that we can believe it, obey it, and bear fruit by it. That's the purpose. It is truth is given to bring us to decisions in our life. So if I'm here preaching on some issue of separation, you ought to take your Bible home and say, Preacher said this, he taught on this about the Christian in the body, and he said this scripture, and we ought to get solidified. Is that true or not? Is that actually true? Did God actually promise to preserve his words to every generation? Did that man pull that out of context? Right? The best way to do is go read the whole chapter and see if it's in context. Be students of the Bible. So the Bible says they, their practice was searching the Scriptures daily. The word searched means this, to scrutinize properly, to scrutinize by implication, to investigate, interrogate, to determine, to ask, to question, to discern, to examine, to judge, to search, meaning we're going to do the due diligence to take what we heard from his mouth lay it out in the Scripture, and compare what he said with what the Scripture says. That is the Christian responsibility. To take the preaching, again, not from a disrespectful, skeptical standpoint, but let's remember what was their purpose, to see whether these things were so. Do you remember the one question the Pharisees asked of Jesus, where do you get the authority to do what you're doing? And he said, you answer my question and I'll answer yours. John's baptism. Of heaven or of men? Do you realize how much of a battleground there is right now? When in, anymore, anymore, when a truth is preached, one of the first things is said is, well, that's just that man's opinion. You and I must prove that out. And may I say this? If I, as your pastor, am doing nothing but preaching you my opinion, leave. You have no business being in a church where a man was going to preach to you his own opinion. Go find you a good church. On the flip side of that. 
if what's being preached is the word of God. We have no business being unchanged. Amen? We have no business saying, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I desire not to be in any place where some other human being as sinful as myself and needs a Savior just as me, is just as much as I, is just giving their opinion. We need the Word of God. Their purpose behind all this was, we are going to prove out whether what we've heard is from God or of men. Do you realize that was the whole debate surrounding Jesus Christ? Is his doctrine his own or is it from heaven? And you know what he said? John seven seventeen. if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine whether I speak of myself or if it is of God. You know what he's saying? If you have the disposition of heart that says, I want the truth, you'll know I'm giving you the truth. You know why the Bereans, we'll get to this in just a minute, you know why so many of them got saved? Because their disposition was, we want to know the truth. Well, Paul gave them the truth. So when you want the truth, your heart is saying, I'm hungry for truth. I'm not hungry for a lie that makes me feel like a certain way. I want the truth. Then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. The principle that Scripture was authority. They would test the message and the man's message and the man of the message by Scripture. Their practice was searching, digging, taking the message and examining it against the Word of God daily. Their persistence, the Word is daily, to see whether these things were so. They were hearing things... And proving them out. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things. One of the great burdens of my heart right now is I hear, and I can't quite, I was telling my dad this the other day, I can't quite figure out how to verbalize this, but I hear a tone, even among preachers, that sounds like this. All of us are making our best guess at what we think is true. And once I've determined what I believe is true, I'm just going to land on that, and you land on what you believe is true, and there's a, there's a, a seed of this postmodernistic thinking Look, if the Bible's not clear enough that we can't find what God says about it, then forget it. I mean, honestly. But if we're going to act like this, well, we believe that God created the heaven and the earth. But there are other Christians that believe that it evolved in in line with creation. That doesn't fly. That's not what the Bible says. I can affirmatively, and you can affirmatively say, no, we were not theistically evolved. If so, God would have told us. But he didn't. He said he created us. So we can authoritatively, with clarity, say, no, we were created. Not because we're so smart, but because that's what he said. (laughs) We can use a number of other illustrations, but the Bible tells us we have a responsibility to prove all things, meaning put it to the test and find out if it's true, if it's good or evil. And by the way, how do we do that? Very quickly, we're talking about their purpose and their persistence. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, the way we do that, the way we become skilled at discerning between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and error, is by use of the Scripture, by putting it into practical use, meaning finding what it says, submitting to it, and obeying it. Hebrews chapter 5, notice this. We're talking about how we hear, are we not? That's the subject tonight, how we hear. The Bible says in verse 10 of Hebrews 5, A call of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. To the Hebrew people that are being written to, he said, there's some things I want to say to you, but they're difficult to say to you because they're hard doctrines or because you're having a hard time hearing. Ah, yes, you're dull of hearing. Verse 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you ought to be clear enough in this, you should be telling others and teaching others. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. 
For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know what he's saying? You Hebrews need to learn how to use God's word, how to hear God's word. There are some things you should be hearing, but you can't because you've not used Scripture the way you should. You young people, you're, you're above all not exempt from this. You may feel like, well, this whole searching the Scripture is for adults. No, it's for you. How many of you young people know how to read? <laughs> all of you but Benson and Brooklyn, I think. Then you know what? You're responsible to do so. You even now, you're responsible to hear your Sunday school teacher and chew on that during the week. It would be a good, good assignment to say, this is what we were taught on Sunday morning. I'm going to take the initiative to read the Scripture from Sunday school on Sunday every day this week. And when I find out that what I was taught was so, then I know God, what God's telling me. People act like getting God direction from God is this deep mystery. It's not as mysterious as we make it. It's more the condition of the heart than the difficulty of the word. Amen? It's not a deep mystery. It has to do with us using the word as we should. And as we use God's word, meaning we know what it means, we act in obedience upon it, then we grow in our skill to prove things. Prove means you test it out until you're sure what's true. We are not living in a world where you can't know what's right and you can't know what's wrong. That's the, I hear that creeping in even among Christians. Well, there's so many... So many varied opinions about issues means it's not clear. No, that means man's heart is not clear. God's word is clear. It's the heart that's messed up. The Bereans had the right kind of heart. They said once we test what he says and it lines up with that book, then we're on board. That's the kind of hearers we're to be. Their sole purpose was we are proving out what is true. Ephesians 5.10 says, Now the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable to the Lord. You know, you and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will is for our life. You know how? By taking what we hear and taking it to Scripture and saying that passes muster. That's what the Bible says. I'll give you one more illustration. We use this commonly because it's so easy to use. But we would teach you shouldn't use God's name in vain, shouldn't use filthy language. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying. I'd be able to hear that preached and taught, and it ought to change my vocabulary. If my vocabulary is wrong. Amen? Because that's practical. You say, yeah, that's what the Bible says, and then plug that in. So the diligence of the Bereans. The disposition was there was a receptiveness to the truth and a readiness to obey the truth. The diligence was they were willing to do the hard work of being attentive enough to the message to take it and remember what they heard preached and compare it with what is written with the purpose of saying whether these things are so. We want to find out is what the man's telling us the truth. Then thirdly, the determination of the Brians. And I don't mean by determination their willpower to continue. I mean they came and made a clear judgment. The Bible says that that justice and judgment are the habitation of God's throne, meaning he weighs different things and makes determinations as to what is good and right. And we uh, need to be as Christians in the habit of making judgments, not ever living in limbo. Well, I, I know some people think this, and some people think this, and I'm not sure what I believe. That's a lack of spirituality. 
Today, we act like, and I say we, I mean that very broadly, so I don't mean you or me particularly, but in culture and even in Christian society, we almost act like uncertainty of belief is noble. The less, well, I respect all beliefs. Well, you can't do that. I do not respect the belief that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That would be foolish. You can't respect all beliefs and respect the truth. And so uh, the fact of the matter is, is God has designed us to make determinations as to what I'm hearing. Is that true or is that false? Do you realize we have a responsibility to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? I mean, it's our responsibility to judge our own thoughts. I thought this. Is that true? Well, I don't know. What does the Word of God say? I heard this preacher preach this. Well, it sounded nice, but is it true? We're supposed to prove all things. We are spo- the Bible says, he that is spiritual does what? Judgeth all things. Meaning he takes what he hears and says, I'm not going to accept that unless I know it lines up with what God says. That is what God intends for us. And so that's what these folks did. The Bible says, in, again, verse 11, there, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scripture daily whether those things were so. Therefore, how I many you see that word? Because of verse 11, we have verse 12. Because they loved the truth, because they were diligent to compare the message they heard preached with what is written in the Bible, the conclusion was they didn't say, we can't believe what that guy's saying. Therefore, many of them believed. Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Contrast that with verse 34 of Acts 17. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe among which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. What a difference in Athens. Man, in Athens, Paul probably, he, he preached like an attorney in a courtroom. And just a handful of people believed. Do you know why? They had a different disposition. I don't find anybody in Athens looking to the Scripture for anything. Just tell us something new. We, fine, Paul, that was neat, cool. Well, now let's hear something else. <laughs> but the Bereans, many of them believed. The determination, meaning the conclusion they came to, it was causal. Well, that's what we saw. The therefore is there for a reason. Because they were noble, because of their disposition, because of their diligence, and because what Paul was preaching was the word of God, many of them said, yep, it lines up. He said Jesus is the Christ. That's exactly what that scripture says, and that's exactly that. We have to believe the message of Christ because it's true. It was causal. It was conclusive. They were not in limbo. The Bereans weren't like, well, you know, we like what Paul preached, so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we align more than over here. How can, you know what, I, I'm burdened, and this week I'm burdened. We need to be people of conviction. We have heard something, and we've come to a conclusion. I'll just say this again. If I preach something to you, and you go to your Bible and say, I just can't, in all of God's word, I don't know where in the world that's coming from. Well, then you have no responsibility to believe that at all. But shame on me if I'm preaching you that way. My desire would be that you'll go to the Scripture and say, that's right, that's what it says. Then the authority is not the preacher. Paul knew that, and I know that. Authority is not the preacher, and you know that. And believe that. The authority is this book. Amen? And so their, their determination or their belief, it was causal, it was because of their disposition and their diligence, their persistence and their purpose, all those things. And it was causal, it's conclusive, and it's consequential. Acts chapter 20 in verse 4, the Bible says, uh, speaking of the apostle Paul, and there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of 
Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. Where are the folks from Athens? I don't find any of them there. But there was some of them from Berea. You know why? He had to be one of those that heard, tested against the Scripture, believed it, and here we are three chapters later, he's serving God with the Apostle Paul. Meaning, belief of God's Word bears fruit in our life. Very simple message tonight, but let's not miss it. I think in a complicated world, we try to complicate moving forward by faith. Faith is this. I hear something from God's Word. I check it against the written Word. When it's in the written Word, I believe it. Amen? I believe this tonight. God equips us with the ability, especially, again, these are men who didn't have the Holy Spirit of God yet. They knew the truth of God's Word and knew enough to say, we're not going to believe a man who's preaching something in contradiction to the written Word but we're not going to reject a message that is clearly from the written word. And tonight, I can say this. Every step of spiritual progress in my life that's ever been made has been made just like this. I've heard something preached, realized that's not a man's opinion. That's what the book says. Because that's true, I must do this. I must align with God's word here. Number one, that's what, got, that's what brought me to salvation. As a little bitty child, I'm glad to have childlike faith. But it was very clear what I was hearing was just what the Bible says. And believe God and he saved me. Baptism, the same. I could look in the Bible and say, you know what? I'm not being taught some cultic doctrine about baptism. I heard baptism preached enough from the Bible to know. I had no, no confusion about what the will of God for my life was. If you're a believer, you've got to get baptized. And so I got baptized. And I began to search the scriptures daily. You know, Acts 17, 11 is one of the key verses as to why I read my Bible every day. Not just to read it. I want to know what God's saying to me from it. And so should you, and so do you. And so the point would be, let's have their disposition, let's exercise their diligence, and we'll have the same kind of belief. <laughs> we'll be able to determine. Many of them believe, meaning they accepted what Paul was preaching as absolute heaven's truth, God's truth. Conviction is not formed until we are convinced what we believe is actually what God said. And when I say, you know what, I believe God then anything contradicting that, I say, I'll take God's word over anybody else's any day. Amen? And so tonight, may we take heed how we hear. Let's hear like the Bereans. Amen. Mm-hmm.